was so into worship this morning. <laughs> when Ron was praying, use your servant Joel, I thought, oh gosh, I gotta preach. You will notice that uh, we are skipping <clears throat> to Palm Sunday and to Easter, and then we will resume the series working our way through the Gospel of Luke with a series called Reading the Red. Um, this is a very special Sunday in the history of the church, and it's a little bit, <coughs> pardon me, tougher to preach about because this is not so practical a message as it is, it's not a, it's not a, a recognition of, uh, it's not a, a, a message of practice as it is a, a message of recognition. So, if you would pray with me uh, before we begin this so that we're going to have to switch gears and the right spirit would come and help us to recognize the value of seeing Christ for who he is and not for what he does in our lives or through our lives, okay? Lord, give us the spiritual sensitivity this morning to recognize that you are God, that you are king, not only of our lives, but of the entire universe. Let us greet you as those people greeted you so many thousands of years ago, laying part of ourselves at your feet so that you can be known by all the world as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We pray in your spirit. Amen. Let me go through chapter 19. Verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 28 through 40. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. Now remember, this is a literal ascent. He, he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's, 20, it's a 2,600 foot uh, ascent in something like five miles or six miles, so it's literally climbing a hill. And it came about that when he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near to the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why you are untying it, you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. <clears throat> this is the reason it is so difficult to switch gears on a Palm Sunday. Usually when we preach, we want very practical applications. And so therefore, you will want to carry out of here <clears throat> a, something that you can do this week that will complete the message for you. And Jesus was that kind of teacher. 
It was very difficult for Jesus personally to be recognized in this way. This was a difficult time for him. We know that because all of the rest of the scripture, he displays just the opposite character. He is always the servant. He is always the friend who lays his life down. He is always the humble one. He is always the teacher. He is always the parable teller in very common terms. What must it have been like for Jesus to come and be recognized as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Some years ago, <clears throat> my old football coach retired. And Coach Wilkins in Shelby, Ohio was a legend in his own time. I have told you before that uh, he could have been mayor, he could have had anything he wanted to have because he had a, he had a winning football season and, and people loved or hated him but they respected him. They respected him. And year after year he would turn out quality football, game, football teams <clears throat> but even more to the point, year after year he would turn out quality people. He was a no-nonsense you know, get a t-shirt on and a baseball cap and let's go out there and see what you're made of. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, I could not go to his retirement dinner, but hundreds of people did. And they asked those ex-players that couldn't go to write a letter of what he had meant in our lives. And they read some of these letters at this retirement dinner. And I later asked an ex-football buddy what he was like during that time. And they looked at me and they said, Hunter, he was absolutely miserable. <clears throat> absolutely miserable. He didn't know what to do with himself. Now, here's a man who, once he goes out on a football field, thanks, Jim, <clears throat> once he goes out on a football field, can command an entire presence. He can command a coaching staff. He can command players. He can have five different drills going on at five different times, all culminating in a certain formation of a certain team that can operate under any pressure. He is in total command and always knows what's going on at any given time. But put him at the head table and have people say nice stuff about him and he's like a fish out of water. He, he said, Hunter, you could just see him saying, get me out of this tie, get me out of this suit, get me out of this place. But yet, we needed to say that. That wasn't for him, that was for us. That was for people who needed to express what he had done in their lives. And so as miserable as it made him, it was something that had to be done. Well, it's a poor analogy, but that's what Jesus felt like on this day. It was getting on the back of that donkey was an uncomfortable experience for him. But yet it had to be done in order to let us recognize who he was. Now as the disciples did what he told them, there are a few things that I want us to recognize. First of all, the fact that Christ had prior ownership on anything in the world. Anything in the world. Second service, we're going to dedicate lots of babies this morning. It's going to be fun. I love dedicating babies. And when those parents come up here and they give their child back to the Lord in fulfillment of numerous passages in Exodus and the Old Testament, doing like 
those people did, giving them back to the Lord, what they are doing is they are recognizing prior ownership. They are saying, we do not own this child. This child has been given to us for a while. God still has possession of this child. It's not our child. This is God's child. And today we recognize that. Well, that's what the donkey owners must have thought, you know. My donkey, <clears throat> but not really. Curios, Lord, the Lord has need of it. The same word, curieu, is used later, is blessed that he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's not, that is referring to God the Father. So therefore, he is saying that the creator, that message is the creator has prior ownership, it is his. And the second thing I want you to recognize, some people say, well, Jesus snuck in there and he had a relationship with this guy and it was all set up. See? And it was just good administration. He knew what, it was a password, and, you know, uh, he saved this uh, cult that had never been set on. By, by the way, the reason it had never been set on is because it was to be uh, ritually clean. Just like the unblemished lamb that was sacrificed. See, the unblemished lambs. And so that's why it was necessary that the cult had never been set on. So it was to be ritually clean. But some people say, well, you know, it's, it's just good administration. Jesus arranged all this and, and uh, uh, he had a password going and, and uh, then he could have his parade. I think they've missed a point. This is a, an example of Jesus' prophetic knowledge and also his spiritual sensitivity of this is the time to be recognized. I tell you, as a pastor... We have all kinds of literature that crosses our desk every day. And most of the literature goes something like this. 99 ways to keep your sheep. You know, in other words, ways to good administration so that you can have a strong church. And 99% of it goes straight in the wastebasket because I don't think, first of all, that we got any sheep in this church. I've never seen any. Just seen people. Secondly, the back door dynamic does not scare me at all. Some people say, well, golly, they, if they come in the front door and they go out the back door, you know, isn't that awful? And I say, nah, keep it open. I don't think that any church is the be all, be all and end all for anybody. And therefore, if you come and stay for a while, great. If you come and stay until we're old and slobber on each other, that's fine with me. Matter of fact, I kind of, you know, I can't wait to see who's here in 20 years. We're going to have fun together. We're going to know each other. We're going to know each other's kids and our grandkids together. 20 years grandkids. Okay. <clears throat> but anyhow, the point of a church is not excellent administration. As a matter of fact, and this is not to be used as an excuse for laziness because pastors can do this and I could do it. I could be drawn into that temptation. But as a matter of fact, institutionalization and excellent administration can kill the sensitivity of the spirit. And therefore, what this passage is about is not good administration. You don't make the kingdom come by good administration. You don't keep the kingdom there by good administration. You keep it by spiritual sensitivity. This was the time in Jesus' life when he had to ride on that donkey and he knew it. This was the time had not much to do with his own decision-making power. It was the time. Galatians 4.4, when the time had fully come. The Greek word is kairos. 
as opposed to chronos. Chronological age is not, chron not time, one time after another. It's kairos. It means it was ripe. It was time, and he knew it. He knew it. And for those of you who God is working a work in your life, and it's starting to get to be the time, you feel it. If your, if your spirit is sensitive, and that's the job of this church, to keep your spirit sensitive. That's why we worship like we do. That's why we sing strong songs straight to the Lord. That's why Palm Sunday is what it is. Because as you go straight to the Lord in worship and recognition of who He is, He has a free hand in your spirit. So that's what was happening that day. There was a prophetic call, and it wasn't much to Jesus' personal taste, but He knew it was time. Hadn't, hadn't to do with His own timetable. It had to do with God's own timetable. Secondly, <clears throat> Pardon me. Let me read some more. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road, and, and in John it talks about waving palm branches. And as he was, and in Mark also, and as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, there's a little dip before you get to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Now, by whole multitude, many commentaries write, well, there must have been tens of thousands of people. And let me guarantee you, there were not tens of thousands of people. Jerusalem police were, <laughs> were always on the alert for political rivals and for people claiming they were the Messiah. This march took place outside the walls of Jerusalem, and it must have been relatively small, or he would have gotten arrested on the spot. So don't get this all out of whack and get a Cecil B. DeMille picture going in your mind, all right? God does not need 10,000 for a miracle, nor does he need multitude upon multitude upon multitude in order to recognize Jesus is Lord. Okay, let me go on. <clears throat> For all the miracles that they had seen, blessed, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. It's also <clears throat> the way is recorded in um, Zechariah 9.9. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this is a, I want you to, don't, don't miss this. This is really neat. <clears throat> Let me get a drink so I don't mess this up. About 15 years ago, <clears throat> I taught psychology at Oakland City College. And part of the research for one of the courses that I was teaching helped me come in contact with a dynamic called cognitive dissonance. When <clears throat> Jesus came, the angel said, <clears throat> glory be, in heaven on high. I don't think it's going to come out with water. I got to just go keep going like that. So pardon me in advance. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Jesus originally was sent so that there would be, as far as he was accepted, a peace 
in the Spirit on earth, as far as he was followed, a peace on earth. Now on Palm Sunday, there is the opposite concern, peace in heaven. Now let me tell you what's happening here. Heaven watches us. Heaven watches us. We are not isolated down here from heaven. What's it say in Luke 17.5? No, it's 15.7. It talks about there is more joy in where? Heaven. When one sinner repents than for the 99 who were righteous who needed no repentance. There is a heavenly observance of the earth. In Hebrews 11, it talks about all the saints that have died and gone before us, not seeing the promise. And then the first verse in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, in the following chapter says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses. Did you know that all of the people, the saints who are living with God, have access to viewing the earth. The people you know who have died and are living with God have access to viewing the earth. Even the people who are in hell have a concern for the earth. Remember the rich man and and Lazarus? And when the rich, rich, rich man dies and he goes to hell, what's he say? Let me go back and warn my brothers. See, there's still a concern. We've gotten completely... Someday I'm going to preach a sermon on heaven because our picture of heaven is not a biblical picture. We have, it has gotten... You know, there's a disease out, a terrible infectious disease called herpes. I call this one harpies. There are people who think that going to heaven, you just get in some sort of catatonic, euphoric state and sit around and play the harp all the time. Uh-uh. Let me tell you something. There is still a concern for earth. And so we're surrounded by the people who have preceded us who are watching with great interest our lives. And when we destroy our lives, let me tell you something. There is not peace in heaven. There is a dissonance. There is a disparity. Now, let me tell you what happens when we recognize Jesus as Lord. Back to this, I I almost dropped the experiment. There was an experiment done about a dynamic called cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance basically means that there are two conflicting values, and until they get reconciled, there will be disharmony in the spirit. There will be unrest in the spirit. What they did was they asked two groups to lie, to give a total fabricated lie. One group, they paid $5 a lie. (laughs) The next group, they paid nothing. They just said, hey, you're in the experiment, you do it. Well, they went out and lied, and all of them knew lying to be wrong. The first group, went out and lied and were rewarded amply for it. The second group went out and they, they had a real battle in their spirit. You know, we're supposed to follow orders, but lying is wrong. Then they tested these people. 
after the experiment as to how much they believed the lie that they told. Something very interesting happened. The people who were paid to tell a lie did not at all believe what they were saying. But the people who were not paid to tell a lie, who had no reward in telling a lie, actually began to believe the lie that they were saying. In other words, when it came down to unrest, unless there was some sort of reward which would account for the differences in the values, the truth was sacrificed for the experience. See? The truth began to be diminished to be in line with the experience. Well, we do the same thing when we come from a heavenly perspective to live in the world. If we don't have something stronger as a reward for having to live down here, we begin to believe the lie we're living. We begin to think that is the value, that is the truth. That's why we're having such a battle with secular humanism nowadays. That's why everybody thinks they can make up their own values because they have absolutely nothing that is rewarding in their life as far as a walk with God. That gives them an account to why, of why they have to live in a world like this. And that's why they can't tell lies anymore. They can't tell what is a lie. They really begin to believe that the world has the answer. Well, when that happens, when we begin to believe in the power of the world to answer our needs, there's great unrest in heaven. And it is not peaceful there. Conversely, when we turn around and we say, Mine is not to make up the values. Mine is to recognize the values in Jesus Christ. Mine is not to be the Lord in the world, because that's what secular humanism tells us we can be. We can essentially be God. That's what the Eastern religions are telling us. We can essentially be gods. We can have access to anything we want. That's what all this New Age stuff is about. We become gods. Well, we bought into we can become gods in this world. Instead of turning around and saying, I'm not God, you're God. And I recognize you as God. And I recognize you as my king. And when that happens, there is great joy in heaven. There is great peace in heaven. And thirdly, it was not only the fulfillment of the scriptural truth, but it was the fulfillment of the cosmic, <laughs> listen to this, we're getting fancy here. Let me read it to you. Some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they are not supposed to claim you as the Messiah. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now, I've always had a problem with that. You know, try to imagine that scripture literally, you know. And living in Disney World and being brought up on cartoons makes it hilarious, you know, because you, th you can imagine these, you know, all the disciples saying, okay, uh, it's disturbing them, I won't cry out. And all these little stones go, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. I'm thinking, That's, it can't be that. I mean, it, 
I mean, I guess it could be, but that's not the way God usually works. I really had a struggle with that for a long time until last summer I was reading some books on theoretical physics. Actually, reading is not the right word. Beating my brains out trying to understand books on theoretical physics is more accurate. But let me tell you what they're discovering nowadays. They have delved into the structure of the universe to such a degree. You know, when we were growing up, atoms were, everything, the atom was supposed to be the, the littlest particle in the universe. That was the smallest thing. They have now detected a structure of the universe called a quark. And there are other things called bosons and fermions and so on and so forth that are almost as small as a quark or as small as a quark. And just to, just to give you an idea of how small this quark is, a quark is to an atom as an atom is to the entire galaxy of the Milky Way. That's how small a quark is. Well, what makes up a quark? They are theorizing now, as they have more and more sophisticated instrumentality, that quarks are made up of conjunctions of moving particles. Not particles, but things that are almost matter that are tied together called superstrings. And the superstrings... Now listen to this, oscillate at varying frequencies, which means they produce what? Sound. Everything in the universe is connected at the most basic level by something that can literally cry out, even stones. And I believe that someday, when our instrumentality has developed enough sophistication that we can pick up that vibration, that oscillation, that all of the universe will be crying out to God. And all of it will recognize Jesus. I believe someday we will literally be able to interpret this sentence as when Jesus walked by, the stones did cry out. And if the disciples hadn't said anything, these people would have give, been given the spiritual sensitivity to understand that the whole universe recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord, literally. Isn't that neat? Well, where do we come down to? We come down to this, that Jesus Christ underwent what was very personally distasteful to him in order to fulfill the prophecy of God, the timetable of God, and that he fulfilled all the scripture of God, and that he fulfilled his role as creator of the universe. Colossians 1, 16, 
For everything is made by him and for him. Where does that leave us? That leaves us in a place where we either recognize him as Lord or we don't. It's just that simple. You know, I've been teaching a course uh, to the kids, a confirmation course, about all the major religions of the world. And it has struck me again that Christianity is fully unique because every other major religion of the world is built upon some magic word, some magic thought pattern, some control of some word concept. Christianity alone claims that God became man. Alone. We have that choice. Now we can treat Christianity as every other major religion and say, well, if I just learn the right words and learn the right concepts, I'm Christian. But Palm Sunday said, no. You either look at Jesus and say, this is God, this is the king of the universe, and this is king of my life, or you've not been a Christian. It's that simple. That's how unique we are. We are. And that fits in with God's personality. He's not a God of magic words. He's a God of love and a God of a person. I heard one story one time, I'll close with this, about a little girl who went to a preschool thing for the first time. It may, may have been pre-preschool, I don't know. But she looked down and her shoelace was untied. So she went to the teacher. She said, you know how they do. Would you tie my shoe? teacher bent down. She said, I'd be glad to tie your shoe. Would you please ask me in the right way? And you could tell the little guy, I mean, she's racking her brain. She had never heard the magic word. She's racking her brain. And she looked at the teacher, said, would you please tie my shoe? That's the difference between God and every other religion. Every religion has a magic word, not us. We got kissed. We got the person. And I'll take a kiss over a magic word any day. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pause to recognize you. Not what you've given us, not what you've done for us, not what you've said to us, but you. We honor you and we lift you up. And we thank you for giving us this time when we can recognize that you, Jesus, are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord Jesus, we ask you to give us a personal relationship where we can hear you and we can commune with you and you can be with us in a very personal way. 
we pray in your name. Amen. I couldn't go, and they asked some of us who, who had been under his tutelage to write letters and what he had meant to us, and there were hundreds of us probably that did that. And I asked someone sometime later, you know, how did that go for Coach Wilkins? And they said he was absolutely and visibly miserable. I said, really? He said, yeah, just, you know, it, he was so conspicuous and he didn't, he was just out of his element and I knew immediately what he meant. On a football field, Coach Wilkins could run 50 boys, six coaches, and know everywhere what was going on at any given time and then bring it together into a well-oiled machine. But when he was being honored like that, I could just see him saying to himself, how do I get out of this coat? How do I get out of this tie? How do I get out of this room? So it wasn't for the coach that they did that. It was because we needed to say it. And in like manner, Palm Sunday is not for Jesus. He knows who he is. God knows who he is. We need to recognize who he is. We need to say it for our own health. Now let me just give you a couple of facts that might be interesting to you about how this proceeded. First of all, there is the fact that there was a custom in that time that at the beginning, before Passover, children, you know, there was a sacrifice of a lamb at, at Passover, and a blemishless lamb, the best lamb. But what you may not know, and what I did not know until someone told me, was that children would select the best lamb of the flock, and they would take it home, and they would make a pet out of it. In other words, that became a part of the family. And then, when it came time to sacrifice that lamb, they weren't just sacrificing an animal. They were sacrificing a part of the family. Well, when Jesus rides in, and they put their coats down, and they shout, Hosanna, what they are doing is adopting him into their family. They are adopting him as their king. And they are befriending him in a right kind of allegiance. So that when he goes to the cross, it's not just a man that is sacrificed to, for them. It is one of them. How did this proceed? Well, Jesus sent two people knowing prophetically that it was time. God's timing is different than our timing. And if God has a plan for your life, and He does, our job is to develop your spiritual sensitivity so that you know God's timing and you know God's direction. Our job in this place is not to be a church. Our job is to sharpen your spiritual sensitivity. As Jesus had His sharpened, because the time was right. According to Galatians 4, 4, it says, When the time had fully come, the Greek word is kairos, not chronos, from which we get the word chronology, one age after another, but kairos, there was something that was right. 
now. And Jesus saw in his mind the colt that had never been sat upon, so it was ritually clean. And they went to get it. Now, two things I want you to know here. First of all, they recognized in that time, the owners recognized that God had a prior ownership. Just as we recognized with these children this morning, God has a prior ownership. And when the Lord says, I have need of it, then we recognize that God is indeed the owner and not us. Not us. Secondly, I don't want you to get this under good administration. You know, some people say, well, <clears throat> Jesus worked all this out beforehand. He had a deal with the guy who owned the donkey, and, and um, the password was, the Lord has need of it, and the proper response password was, um, you know, why are you untying this colt, and so on and so forth. That all worked out kind of like Mission Impossible. And what, this, what brought the spiritual, the spiritual age into being was good administration. You missed the point. I mean, they, not that Jesus wasn't a good administrator, but that's not the point. I must get 10 pieces of mail a week across my desk that are to pastors wanting us to be better administrators. I get practically no mail across my desk that says, sharpen your spiritual sensitivity. I get these, this, this mail that says, basically, 99 ways to keep the sheep. You know? 99 ways to keep your church happy so that they, when they come in the front door, they won't go out the back door. You know, because that's a terrible thing. Let me tell you where I put that mail. You already know, don't you? I don't think that's my job to keep the sheep. As a matter of fact, I've never seen a sheep in this church. We don't have any sheep. We've got people who can make up their own mind where the Lord's leading them to go to church. Thank you very much. I want to keep the back door open because this is not a place where you come and rest for the rest of your life spiritually. God may well have you here for a time. Now, there'll be some of us that stick together till we're old and slobber all over each other and I'm going to enjoy that and I'm interested to see who that'll be but my point is that keeping the sheep good administration is not the main function of the spiritual walk it is sharpening your spiritual sensitivity so you know, A, when the Lord is speaking to you, B, what he's saying, and C, what your response ought to be. That's the job. And that's what Jesus did that day. He knew it was time, and he knew what he was to do. The next thing I want to point out to you is that as they went and put Jesus upon that lamb, they shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a very interesting phrase. Peace in heaven. Now remember when Jesus was born. What was the phrase? Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Remember? What's happening now? What's happening now? Well, let me just share something with you. Heaven is not as separated from earth as you think it is. You may have been taught and may have been trained or may have assumed that once you get to heaven, you go into this drug-induced catatonic state that sits around and just 
focuses on God and plays the harp and you know, your only attention is on God. And I want to give a sermon sometime on heaven, but let me just say this to you right now. A, we are constantly being watched by the heavenly host, by the people who are in heaven. Look at Luke 15, 7. What's it say? There is much more joy in where? Heaven, when one sinner repents, than for the 99 that were righteous and needed no repentance. You see, we are being watched by heaven. That means that everybody who was gone before us, who is dead, still sees us. Look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews. They name all of the saints that have gone before, those that have not claimed the promise. And guess what? The first verse in the 12th chapter of Hebrews doesn't stop talking about him. It keeps talking about them when it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses. That's right. They witness what we are doing. Even people who are in hell are still concerned about what's going on here on earth. Remember the rich man and and Lazarus? And the rich man goes to hell and he says, what's his request of Abraham? Let me go back and warn my brothers. See? Therefore, the people who have been believers who have died and gone before us, Look upon us. And what do you think happens in their lives when we destroy ours? Do you think they have a sense of peace, a sense of shalom, a sense of wholeness? We have misread what it's like to be in heaven. There is no drug-induced, catatonic, harpy state. If you love, you keep on loving. And loving means you care. And let me tell you something, loving is better than not loving, even when it brings tension and unrest. And so therefore, heaven does not mean we are cut off and unfeeling, and we've got ours, now let them try for theirs. So, what do you think it is when people finally recognize, finally recognize who Jesus is. When I taught, about 15 years ago, I taught psychology at Oakland City College. And when I was doing research for one of those courses, I came across an experiment that was about the phenomena called cognitive dissonance. Now, cognitive dissonance, in a a word, in a couple words, are when two values conflict we have this need to have those values reconciled, to somehow bring them together so that we can come to a state of homeostasis or comfort. Okay? Somehow they're going to have to come together. Well, heaven and earth operate under different principles. And so there is a tension. And those that are heavenly minded are going to resolve that tension one way or the other. They're either going to bring earth up to heaven or bring heaven down to earth. Okay? Bring their earthly values and make them as gods 
or stick to their heavenly value. They didn't experiment. The experiment went like this. That they had two groups of people and they told both groups to lie. Now one group they paid to lie. And the other group got nothing for lying. What they discovered was this. At the end of the experiment, not only was there a great difference in the amount of unrest for those people who didn't get paid to lie. Because see, there's two conflicting values. One, you ought to be, obey authority. We're in this experiment. We ought to do what they say. Two, we ought to lie. That's not right. So there's two conflicting values there, see? What they found was that the people who were paid, they, they, they did a test at the end as to what the people ended up believing about what they had done. What they found was this, the people who got paid to lie, recognized it as a lie, said in no way was it the truth. We were compensated for doing that. The people who did not get paid to lie began to believe what they were saying. So great was the tension in them that they sacrificed the truth in order to make it meet the experience that they were going through. When heaven looks at us, that's exactly what they see in this culture. People who don't have a solid walk with the Lord, who don't have the reward of the joy and the power of Christ in their lives, will eventually begin to bring their values down to the world. They will sacrifice the truth to make it in, in accord with their experience because of this cognitive dissonance, because of this disparity, you see? And so therefore, there isn't peace in heaven. When that happens, that's exactly what secular humanism is. You bring the values and you say, I'll make up the values. God can't make up the values, I'll make them up. Or it's, it's, it's opposite this uh, New Age movement that says, God isn't God, I'm God, thank you very much. And I'll determine what's right and wrong for my life. Not for anybody else's life, but for my life. Well, there's unrest in heaven. And there's a mess on earth. Palm Sunday is simply the experience of finally getting the priority right. And recognizing that Jesus is king. I knew an old guy in one of my former churches. His name was Arthur Nordhorn. Called him Nordy. Neat old guy. And I love to listen to, this guy must have been 80 years old. I love to listen to those folks tell stories about when they were kids. And he was in the hospital one time, and I spent a lot of hours with him, and I'd say, Nordy, tell me about when you were a boy. And one, one time he told me this story. He said, he was laying there, he said, do they still have puzzles and cereal boxes? I said, well, yeah, they do. They got more prizes nowadays, but they do have puzzles. He said, when I was a kid, they had them in soap boxes. And I can remember one puzzle that they said, and I, he said, I was real good at them. He kind of grinned, you know. He said, I was real good at them. And he said, I remember one puzzle that they sent that I worked on night and day, and I couldn't get it together. And I had this place on the box where if you couldn't get it together, you could send for the instructions. But I was determined I wasn't going to send for the instructions. So day after day after day, he said, I had worked 
Every puzzle that I knew about, I was the best puzzle worker in the neighborhood. There wasn't a puzzle that I couldn't get together. But I couldn't get this one together. He said, finally, I gave up. And I sent away for the instructions. And the instructions came. And you know what they said? They said, if you just hook these two pieces together first, you can put the rest of it together easily, no matter in what order you do it. If you don't get these two pieces together first, you'll never be able to put it together, no matter how hard you try. Palm Sunday is just getting the first two pieces together. Because until we get those two pieces together, the rest of it's not going to go. No matter how hard we try, no matter how long we try, it's not going to go. Because we were made for Him. We were made to have that as the priority, the first thing in our life. That's how we're made. That's how we fit. And the end of it says this. It says, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees really resented Jesus being named as God. You see, there is a recognition in this scripture that Jesus is God. The same word that they use for the Lord has need of it is used for blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Same word. In other words, it claims the divinity of Jesus. The messiahship of Jesus. And the Pharisees were really disturbed at that. And so, they said, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus looked at him and threw his hands up like, there's nothing I can do about this. I am who I am. And all of the world shall someday recognize that. But the way he said it was, if these were silent, meaning his disciples, the stones would cry out. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, until recently, I've really had a problem with that. I mean, living here in the outskirts of Disney World and being brought up in cartoons, try to visualize that, will you? How are stones going to cry out? I had this little picture in my mind. These little stones go, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. I'm going, you know, that's probably not going to happen. Listen to this. This is really cool. I don't know how many of you are, are interested in science. I, I love to read about science. And I read several books last summer on theoretical physics. Read is probably not an accurate term. Beat my brains out. Trying to understand is a more accurate term. But there are some remarkable advancements in the theorizing of the basics of the structure of the universe. They have new instruments that can somehow detect and therefore they can theorize more basically than ever before. You know, when we were growing up, the smallest element in the universe was the atom. That was just, that's the tiniest there was. Now, there are quarks and bosons and fermions and 
A quark, just to give you some perspective, a quark is to an atom as an atom is to the entire galaxy of the Milky Way. That's how small a quark is. Now, you say, okay, what makes up quarks? Here it is. Not particles, but connected strings. I mean, the, the, the best they can come up with now is a, is a term called superstrings. And these things don't just stand there, they vibrate. As a matter of fact, they oscillate at different frequencies. You know where I'm going with this? What do you have when something oscillates at a frequency? Sound, don't you? That's right. So all of creation, animal, plant, and mineral, at its most basic level, I truly believe someday we will be able to listen to. And even the stones will be able to cry out. The recognition of Jesus, putting him first, that's our only job today. Our only job. Christianity is alone. Well, don't let me talk about Christianity. But there is no other major world religion, no other religion per se, that claims that God actually became a man. Christianity is it. And so therefore, Palm Sunday is not about words. That's what the rest of religions are about. They're, they're about concepts. They're, and some people try to creep, treat Christianity like, if I just learn the concepts, if I just do this, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and who he is. That's it. And Palm Sunday gives us the chance to accept it or reject it, but it's about a person, and it's better than a word. Better than a word. Let me tell you one story, and then I'll quit. It's about this little girl who went to pre-preschool, I mean, these are little tiny kids. And they're trying to teach the kids the basics, you know. And the kid looks down, she's going along, and she knows her shoestring's untied. So you know how they are. They come up to you like this. She said to the teacher, and she said, Will you tie my shoestring? The teacher bent down and she said, so, Honey, I'd just be glad to tie your shoestring. Do you know how to ask me right? Rack in the brain. You know, it's obviously she doesn't know the magic word. <laughs> Will you tie my shoestring? <laughs> it's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. They all got magic words. We got the kiss. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you and we thank you.
for coming personally to us. Instead of giving us some formula, some special revelation for just giving us yourself. Let all of us who will today recognize you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You do not depend on that acclamation from us. It's a simple reading of reality. And let us follow you, Lord. No matter what sacrifice it takes, no matter what joy it brings or does not bring, let us follow you because you are the center of creation and you made us to come after you and love us. We pray in your spirit. Amen. This morning, as we uh, considered how to close out the service, so many times the Musicians come up and we'll sing a song together. But I think it's really fitting this morning as we as a body would consider what's been said. And the best way to end the service is by us being willing to offer ourselves without any of the trappings, without any of the musicians, but just you and God and offering yourself to him that's the best sacrifice you can give, your obedience. So would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna do something different. We're gonna close this morning by giving ourselves, and if you're in agreement with me this morning, as giving myself and recognizing Jesus Christ as truly the Lord, would you sing with me? Praise God from whom Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly Lord. Praise Father. Peace.